What follows is the podcast from New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo from May 10th, 2020. You'll find Pastor Daniel Stevenson discussing the intervention by Bathsheba and Nathan to King David to protect Bathsheba and Solomon from uh, the wrath of Adonijah, who is self-proclaiming himself as king with the help of a few other important followers of David. Some, uh, some well-known names in here for those who studied this period of time and great lessons as in treating David is very much like in treating God in this case because he has many of the characteristics of the Lord and because he is a man after God's own heart. So I hope you'll enjoy the worship and the message. God bless you today. I 
testimony, the Spirit's testimony in our hearts, the healing that you provide through the payment that was paid, and the resurrection 
that demonstrated that we too can be born again. Father, we are grateful for the nation that we live in, the freedoms that we have, the much effort that has gone into protecting those freedoms, standing up for those freedoms, teaching those freedoms. We are grateful for choices by governors and police and people in positions of authority that have helped to keep people safe during this time. We know that there have been mistakes made, and it seems like there always are. And Father, we are grateful for your church, your people that want to serve and, and work with and for each other and for the community, even in this uh, challenging hour. We are grateful for the resources that you give us to succeed in life. And with that, Lord, we are so grateful and especially want to express it today for the mothers who gave us birth, who wiped our snotty noses and changed our soiled rears, taught us to walk, who lifted us up when we fell, taught us how to learn and grow, gave us the tools necessary to be learned for our whole life. We know that, Lord, they are a gift from you. And we ask, Lord, that even as we try to honor them today, and that we honor you today especially, that we remember that you are our God, you set this system up. You provided it. And so we are given much reason to worship you. I ask you to take over our service and lead us and guide us. We know you want to be with us. You want to be in us. You were in this room before we were, waiting for people to show up to honor you with our hearts. And we're here now, and we want to reach new heights in Jesus. We want to grow a little bit, hear from the word, talk to one another, fellowship such as you would have it, and praise you for your good gifts. And pray all this in Jesus' precious name. All right, it won't be long. Not too long, but we don't have to pray. There'll definitely be a noise, I think. But um, our king will come, and he will set things right. No more coronavirus, no more all this other stuff going on. He'll set things right. So, Amen. I was thinking about this song, and that's kind of how this song is.
it's nice to know that wherever you are, you're still alive and breathing. That chance for your sins to be forgiven. Just gotta go to the one that forgives. That's who you are.
we're going to take just a few moments and have a little bit of fun. Do you have something? Yeah, I wanted to say something real quick. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Seeing how that it's Mother's Day, something that we also need to think of is all the families that can't be with their mothers right now. Right. Various reasons. Yeah. Like military, please, fire. I mean, there's parents out there that are doing good that can't be with their families right now. So we also need to remember those mothers that sacrifice so much to keep their family going. Amen. And even right now in, our, in this very room, there are folks that are not able to be with their mother because of what's going on in the world. So, and it's, I mean, sometimes your mother lives all the way across the country and they say this is the, uh, the day that has the most phone calls of anywhere. And that's something we have a really, and we're grateful to be able to do video calls and stuff. But, but even now, because of the virus and everything, there are people, so many people are separate. So, <clears throat> yeah so which we have one of those in our fellowship as well carrie just had i'm gonna mess this up i'm gonna try not to rayleigh right yeah and then she's beautiful so and i'm sure they're enjoying that okay so what i have in front of me is a collection of poems and they're done by topic and so there's uh short poems uh, poems from a child, poems from a daughter, poems from a son, po funny poems. Uh, and I thought we would select a few and read them and see how we resonate with them. So that's kind of my plan. I know it's good. Some of it may just be more fun than anything, but I thought that's something that we could do. So um, under short poems, it says, Sunshine. My mother, my friend so dear, throughout my life you're always near. A tender smile to guide my way. You're the sunshine to light my day. Of all the special joys in life, the big ones and the small, a mother's love and tenderness is the greatest of them all. There is no blessing quite so dear as a mom like you to love year after year. From a child, Ariana, here we go. This is from a child to her mommy. Okay, you ready? It says, Mommy, I love you. For all that you do, I'll kiss you and hug you because you love me too. You feed me and need me to teach, I'm sorry, and need me to teach you to play, so smile because I love you on this Mother's Day. My mom, she's the best. From her head to her toes, she's warm and she's soft and she smells as sweet as a rose. When God created mothers, all as lovely as can be, he made one extra special and saved her just for me. Pretty good, huh? All right, back to the button. Oops, there we go. All right, from a daughter. Your arms were always open when I needed a hug. Your heart understood when I needed a friend. Your gentle eyes were stern when I needed a lesson. Your strength and love has guided me and gave me wings to fly. Best friends forever, mom and me. Picking flowers and climbing trees, a shoulder to cry on, secrets to share, warm hearts and hands that really care. A mother wraps her love around the heart of her daughter, keeping each beat steady through the rhythm of life until wings take shape and it's time for the soul to take flight. Mother and daughter, it's a special bond that spans the years through laughter, worry, smiles and tears. 
a sense of trust that can't be broken, a depth of love, sometimes unspoken, a lifelong friendship built on sharing, hugs and kisses, warmth and caring, mother and daughter, their hearts as one, a link that can never be undone. From a son. There is no doubt, Mom, you're the best, the one and only. I'm proud to be your son, and I'd like to thank you for the loving things you've done. My handprint. Here's my handprint, five fingers in all, outside. They are short, but the middle is tall. You'll find them on windows. You can find them on the wall. They will make a big mess for something so small. One day I will grow and leave them no more. My handprints will be missed of that, I am sure. So here is one now that you can't wipe away, my present to you this Mother's Day. And that's probably with a, goes with a painting, I would imagine. Okay, these ones are supposed to be funny. I'm glad that you're my mother, kind and caring and strong, because surely no one else could have put up with me this long. You taught me to say please and thanks because politeness is the way, so please can I borrow some money? Thanks. Just kidding. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. And then for a new mother, new mom, new fun, so blessed this one, long nights, short days. Go back? No way. We are blessed to have folks within our congregation who have served in this capacity. If it wasn't for my mother, I would be in trouble, as in I would not exist. Um, she watched over me and guided me as I grew up. She set an example for me. Not always a good example. Moms do that sometimes. And sometimes you're supposed to learn from what your mother is teaching you. Sometimes you're supposed to learn from what your mother is doing. And sometimes they are in contrast to one another. But the fact is, you simply could not survive, could not have survived without your mother. When I was about 13 years old, my mom drove me across town. Um, can't even remember where we were going or what it was for, but I know it was for me. As we were coming back, we reached the bottom of the um, high-level bridge on the other side. And my mom turned onto the wrong side of the bridge and was driving up the bridge against the traffic. So the cars were all coming down the bridge, and we were going up the bridge. And I discovered it before she did, and I began to say, Mom, 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 Mom. And she began to say, Quiet now, because <laughs> she was trying to drive and not run into the cars that were coming at her. She realized very shortly that she had gone the wrong way up the bridge, and my mom taught me in that moment one of the greatest lessons of life, and that is when you're going the wrong way, sometimes the only thing you can do is turn around. And so she did a U-turn, a Stevenson Patent U-turn, uh, did not bounce the car off of the concrete barrier in the middle, which was good, and then she whipped down and she did another U-turn and went up the bridge the right way. I encourage you today to honor your mother who's taught you the right way <clears throat> and sometimes probably the wrong way. But I hope you learned a lesson that when you're going the wrong way, sometimes the only thing you can do is turn around and go the right way. So we have a gift for our mothers uh, that are in the room right now with us. Uh, Caleb and Ariana, would you get the, where that, up here? Would you get the gift bags and hand them out to the mothers? Thank you very much. And while they're doing that, we're going to multitask, and we're going to pray a special blessing upon our mothers, and pray a uh, blessing upon our tithes and offerings, and transition service, and with no warning at all, I'm going to tap my good faithful friend and brother Tony Brister. Would you do that for us, please?
was thinking to myself as I prepared this sermon that there comes that moment in time at which your hopes, your desires, and your dreams uh, for your children or anybody really that's significant in your life seem like they're not coming true. They're not going to work out. They're not going to um, receive the blessings that you had hoped for them. They're not going to be strong in the way that they that you thought that they might be or whatever. And there really isn't much left that you can do except go to God <clears throat> on their behalf. It happens occasionally at the life station where I've had a woman come up to me. It's happened about probably six or eight times at least in the last ten years. And sort of like step aside quietly and say, I really would like you to pray for my son. And the story is almost always the same. The son, for whatever reason, is in prison or is addicted so that he is not able to function. And uh, she doesn't know what to do. She is at wit's end, um, having tried, she thinks, everything within her power as she just wants to entreat God to intervene. And of course, I always say, yes, I'll pray. Usually I pray with them right then, and then I often pray for them after that. I don't pray for them for years and years and years, but I pray for them for usually a couple of weeks afterwards. And then so most of the time, uh, probably four or five out of the six or eight times that it's happened, I never hear any results. But there are a couple of instances where uh, one woman in particular came in on, um, on a, a Tuesday afternoon, and uh, asked me to pray for her son. She said, my son is getting out of prison on Friday. He's been in there for about 10 years, and he does not know the Lord. He's blown up his life, spent every penny he, penny he had. He was addicted to drugs, went to jail, and uh, I've, I've been praying for him that he would get saved while he's in there because they do have an active prison ministry and people witness to him and that kind of thing. And she said, and he has not gotten saved. And she said, and I feel like I'm running out of time. Because when he comes out of prison, he's going to be back in the world again and have access to all the things he used to do. And he's going to have all those guys around him again that he used to hang out with. And they're older now, but they're all still in the neighborhood. And, and she said, I feel like I'm running out of time. And so we prayed together right then. And then I think I prayed for him like one more time, maybe twice throughout the remainder of the week. And then the following Monday, she came into service at the life station. And she brought with her her son. And they sat in there. And as I was preaching, I had this feeling... I could see he was very alert and he was listening to what I was saying and he was thinking about it and I thought, you know, he seems to really be into the message. He's really excited about what he's hearing and I thought, well, I, I can't wait to see, you know, is he going to accept Christ or has, has he actually already done so and he's going to share it or whatever and the message ended and, and he didn't say anything and then afterwards she came up and she said, you know, I, this is my son I, I talked to you about last week and we prayed for him and... Uh, 
then she got quiet and she didn't say anything. And I introduced myself to him and he, he shook my hand. Um, and he looked me in the eye and he said, I just want you to know, I believe everything you said. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior just this past week and uh, at the end of my time in prison. And he said, and I intend to live for the Lord. And I had talked about finding a church home. And he said, I'm going to be in church and I'm going to be serving God. And, I'm, and he said, and I'm never looking back. And she just kind of stood by as a witness at that point. And she was a completely different person. Because when you want something for somebody so bad and you've done everything that's within your power and you, you can't think of anything else but to pray and you don't really know how to pray or what to pray exactly, but you know that you want God to do something in their life. And then when God actually does that, there is this two totally different people. You're totally changed forever. I want you to bear that in mind then. And we're going to look at a, a similar instance to that uh, from the story of a woman named Bathsheba. And that name should probably ring familiar to you. And so grab your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to the book of 1 Kings chapter 1. Say, what? This is God's Word. Uh, We're going to begin reading at the beginning, uh, a little closer to the beginning. uh, But I'm not going to do a lot of explaining. So I'm going to read in verse 5. But we really need to drill into the second half of the chapter to see what it is that we're talking about. So I'm going to kind of just begin reading. So verse 5 says, Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. So he is the son of David. He is a potential heir, but he's not the heir. He's not the one who is the heir apparent, and he's not the one that David has named. But he says, I will be king. So he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen with 50 men to run before him. And his father had never crossed him at any time by asking, why have you done so? So David's not speaking up. David's not stopping Adonijah from taking these steps. And he was also a very handsome man, and he was born after Absalom. And he had conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar, the priest. And following Adonijah, they helped him. So those two guys, who are pretty famous guys, join in with Adonijah to, to push him forward as king. But Zadok, the priest, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, Nathan, the prophet, those are, Zadok and Nathan are pretty famous guys, Shimei, Shimei, Ray and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. So in other words, the guys, the heroes, the guys that had done the incredible things along with David, they didn't go out and join in with this son of David who was trying to self-proclaim himself king. Verse 9, And Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fatlings by the stone of Zoheleth, which is beside Enrogel. And he invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the mighty man, and Solomon his brother. So he's particularly leaving out those folks, but he's inviting all of these others. And notice it says that he invited all his brothers, the king's sons, all the men of Judah, the king's servants, but not those folks. So he's singling them out. <clears throat> Real quick, the background a little bit. So you remember that guy, Abiathar? I mentioned he was a pretty, pretty famous guy. Well, he was the survivor of Saul's massacre of Ahimelech, the high priest. So when Saul was king and he wiped out uh, those who might have favored David becoming king, remember God had said that he would, Samuel had proclaimed that David become king, and Saul wiped them out, the family of Ahimelech, the high priest, Abiathar survived. He was the one who fled to David. He came over to David's side and he brought the ephod. That's that coat thing that they wore. And in the pocket was the Urim and Thurim that they could use to determine the will of God. And so this is a pretty important guy. He brought the implements sort of of the 
tabernacle over to David's side, but not the Ark of the Covenant, but the ephod and the Urim and Thurim. He continued to serve as high priest during David's reign, and he was senior probably to Zadok, so he was higher in authority than Zadok. But he lost some prominence to Zadok, and Zadok became more in authority because Zadok was the presiding priest in the tabernacle at Gibeon over the worship, and he was the one that was kind of like kind of running it all, if you will. Notice that this guy, Abiathar, knew exactly what he was, was standing up against. He had heard David ordain Solomon to be king in his place. He had known that God, through the prophet Nathan, had ordained David to have Solomon as his successor. So it was going to go David, Solomon, not David, Adonijah. So when he is stepping out, he is stepping out against God, and he knows that. And he's stepping out against David of old age. At this point in time, David is basically mostly down in his bed. He's having a hard time staying warm. He's taken a, um, a woman, a young woman, not, not intimately, but to warm his bed so that he doesn't suffer. Um, but what in that situation, Abiathar has lost his reverence for David. He does not recognize David's authority, his power, his ability to do things. Okay? And so he is backing Adonijah as king instead of Solomon. Nathan the prophet, during David's reign, was the primary prophet, if you will. He was a non-writing prophet, so he didn't write a book of the Bible or anything like that. But he had some pretty incredible uh, stories in his life. He was the one who went to David and corrected him when he had the affair with Bathsheba in the first place and arranged for Uriah the Hittite to be killed, who was Bathsheba's wife or husband. David went to Nathan about building a temple. He's the one who went to Nathan and said, David is the one who went to Nathan and said, I'm going to build a temple for God. Why should I live in this beautiful palace and God doesn't have a nice place to live? And Nathan kind of corrected him. He's the one who prophesied now saying that it wouldn't be David who would build the temple. But then he gave David the Davidic covenant. He's the one who told on behalf of God to David that there will always be an heir for David on the throne of Israel. Always. And he prophesied that Solomon would be the first of those. Nathan came at Solomon's birth to explain God's forgiving grace. Remember that David, because of what he did with Bathsheba, and the baby died, and there was a lot of bad things, and in the, in the light, all of David's daughters were suffered badly, and there was this bad curse on David and his family, basically, because of the things that David had done. But at Solomon's birth, Nathan comes and explains God's forgiving grace, which is why Solomon gets the name Solomon, which means peace. Because at that point in time, David had found peace with God. How? By God's forgiving grace, as ordained through Nathan. Okay? And then the place, and Rogel, where they have this sacrifice, is southeast of Jerusalem. It's where the two valleys come together. And it's just the Himnon and the Kedron Valleys, which are the two that kind of form the mountains that are around, around uh, Jerusalem. And it's further away than Gihon, which is the place where they were supposed to do this kind of thing. So it was a little bit out of David's reach. And he summoned the people out there, and they had this as a sort of a, sort of a mock or an imitation ceremony of what he would actually do if he were being ordained as king. 
All right, so that's what's happened. That's the scene. Now enter Bathsheba and Nathan. Verse 11, and these are, this is our text for the day. And it's lengthy. I won't explain everything we're going through. You're going to have to just follow it. But then I will explain it enough that we can kind of get the point, I think. Then Nathan spoke to Bathsheba. So the prophet Nathan comes to Bathsheba. That's Solomon's mother, David's wife saying, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king, and David, our Lord, does not know it? So now come, please let me give you counsel and save your life and the life of your son Solomon. Go at once to King David and say to him, Have you not, my Lord, O king, sworn to your maidservant, saying, Surely Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne? So basically, Nathan was telling her to go to David and, and say to David, Didn't you tell me Solomon was going to be king? Why then has Adonijah become king? Behold, while you are still there speaking with the king, I will come in after you and confirm your words. So this is godly counsel on how she's supposed to approach the king. So Bathsheba went into the king in the bedroom. Now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shunammite, that's the woman they gave him to keep him warm, was ministering to the king. Then Bathsheba bowed and prostrated herself before the king. So she's very reverent, very respectful. And the king said, what do you wish? And she said to him, My Lord, you swore to your maidservant by the Lord your God, saying, Surely your son Solomon shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne. And now, behold, Adonijah is king. And now, my Lord, the king, you do not know it. And he has sacrificed oxen and fatlings and sheep in abundance and has invited all the sons of the king and Abiathar the priest and Joab the commander of the army. And notice as she's rattling these off, she's impressing David with how Adonijah has actually done what he said he was going to do. He's called together all of these sort of official-looking people to embrace him as king. And Joab, the commander of the army, but he has not invited Solomon, your servant. And as for you now, my lord, the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you to tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord, the king, after him. Otherwise, it will come about as soon as my lord, the king, sleeps, and she means when he dies, with his fathers, that I and my son Solomon will be considered offenders. In other words, once Adonijah becomes king and you die, we're going to be put to death or whatever they decide to do to us. And behold, while she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet came in. And they told the king, saying, Here is Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he prostrated himself before the king and with his face to the ground. Now, what it doesn't really say right there is that Bathsheba just sort of backs out. Now, Nathan's there, but Bathsheba just sort of backs out. And you'll see how we know that in a minute. Then Nathan said, My lord the king... Have you said Adonijah shall be king after me and he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone down today and has sacrificed oxen and fatlings and sheep in abundance and has invited all the king's sons and the commanders of the army and Abiathar the priest. And behold, they are eating and drinking before him. And they say, long live King Adonijah. But me, even me, your servant, and Zadok the priest, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and your servant Solomon, he has not invited. Has this thing been done by my lord the king, and you have not shown to your servants who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? That's a really important question. He says, has this been done by the king? Did you do this? Are you actually ordaining him as king? Then King David answered and said, call Bathsheba to me. See, when Nathan came in and started speaking, Bathsheba just sort of backed out, right? And says, call Bathsheba to me. And she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king vowed and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all distress, surely I vow to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Your son Solomon shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place. I will indeed do so this day. 
Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground and prostrated herself before the king and said, May my lord, King David, live forever. The king said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. And they came into the king's presence, and the king said to them, Take with you the servants of your lord, and have my son Solomon ride on my own mule and bring him down to Gihon, which is where it should have been all along, and let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him there as king over Israel and blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon. Then you shall come after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne and be king in my place. For I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. And Benaiah the son of Jehoiada answered the king and said, Amen! Thus may the Lord, the God, the God of my father and king, say, As the Lord has been with my lord the king, so may he be with Solomon and make his throne great, greater than the throne of my lord King David. And then it goes on to explain that that's exactly what they do. Okay? So the episode, the incident, with you, if you will, that we really need to drill down on for a second is Bathsheba coming into the presence of King David. Remember, we're talking about when you don't really know what else to do and all you can do is approach the one who actually has the power. Understand that there is a, a, a pretty interesting dynamic here, both humanly and on God's side. All right? So first of all, there's a pattern that they use. They come before David and they explain to the king that the activity of the enemy that is taking place and how it is contrary to the will of God, they explain that. They say, King David, this is what's happening. This is what's been done today. And they say, well, it seemed like this is contrary to the promises made. Didn't you make a promise about what you were going to do? It seemed like it was contrary to the promise you are going to make. But then they say, but Lord, if this be your will, in reverence and holiness and recognition, they say, but Lord, if this be your will. See, sometimes <clears throat> things happen that we don't fully understand. We don't understand why somebody might die, why somebody might go broke, when they don't seem like they're doing anything wrong, why, some, why jobs might be lost, right? We don't understand why equipment might malfunction, why things might happen. We might go, but God, this isn't right. The enemy has caused my, my car to stop running. This is costing me a lot of money. Or whatever. And we have to say, kind of like Jesus, but Lord, if this is your will, then so be it. And that's the pattern that they use. They bring to the attention of the king the promises that have been made and, in truth, the, the pattern of the enemy. Well, what is the pattern of the enemy? They're mocking what God would do. God would ordain Solomon to be king in David's place. So then they pick another king, and they are not at the place. It's not the same people. It's not done godly. But they pick another king, and they're going to put him up in place of Solomon. And they do it all the way and sort of make it look like before all the people that it's being done rightly. And so then when she comes before, she's saying, look, this is what they're doing. And then it's even the question is asked, but is that actually what you're doing? You know, God, because we know you're really in charge. Secondly, they point out that all the eyes of Israel. So in other words, they make it an issue of God's glory and God's leadership. This is, whenever God acts and does miracles, listen, there, there's no flippant miracle. Nobody's ever healed for no real reason. You say, well, God loves everybody, and some people are sick, and God heals them. Yeah, that's true, right? But God loves everybody and only heals some people. So there's got to be a barrier, a line, if you will, a sorting as to why God doesn't just miraculously heal everybody that's sick that has ever prayed for, right? 
One of the traits of miracles that God does when God intervenes is that these miracles are done for His glory. They don't glorify His creation. They don't glorify His people. They may lift His people up. They may exalt His people. But they're going to do that so that they, those people that are lifted up and exalted can glorify God. So they do it for God's glory. When Jesus is on the cross, it's for God's glory. When people are saved, born again, it's for God's glory. When they live their life, every day they live after being born again, that's for God's glory. The truth is, every day they lived before being born again, it was for God's glory. All things now consist in the Lord. They're for God's glory. All things will eventually be put completely under his feet for his glory, right? God is the one and only God. And the eyes of all Israel looking to Adonijah, that's a problem, because that's not the one that God would say goes, goes on the throne. And then they say, Adonijah, being king, will that be a great danger to Bathsheba and Solomon, whom the king loves? And so they make it about God's people suffering. You understand that if, if this is the way it goes, God already knows this. David already knows that if Solomon takes the throne, that, that they will suffer. It's already true. But the point is, they're saying, this is a situation where panic is possible. We will be destroyed. We'll have to flee. We'll have to hide. We won't be able to live for you anymore. We won't be able to live the ideals that you've set forth, etc. anymore. Panic is possible. And should be countered with trust and reverence. And that's what they do. And they're motivated to come into the presence of King David and ask for what it is that they truly need. And they give it. And then David gives it. So the activity of the enemy is contrary to the will of God. It's pointed out to God. Listen, God does not desire anyone should die. God does not desire anyone should be sick. God does not desire that anyone should suffer. It's pretty easy to say, God, here is what's going on and it's bad. There is, this is evil. And God wants to step up against evil and does step up against evil. And then the needs of God's people pointed out. The enemy will mislead because it looks like he's getting the glory. The enemy will lead people away from you. The enemy will make you look weak. Remember Moses saying, you know, if, you come out, if we come out here and we all die, then the Egyptians will say, yeah, see, the God that led them out of Egypt wasn't strong enough to keep them alive in the wilderness. If you look in the Psalms, you see people praying and it's, for your name, Father, for your glory, the prayers are. But the prayers are also there, dash their head, the, the baby's heads against the rocks, right? With those imprecatory prayers that talk about punishing God's enemy. And we say we should never pray for God's enemies to be punished, right? We should never pray for God's wrath to come down on people or for people to be destroyed, right? But it's all throughout the Psalms. Just saying, now, just because Jesus came and lived and died and rose again, that God fulfilled his promises, that we can no longer pray destruction, the truth is you can pray destruction, but when you pray destruction, you have to pray like they did. But Lord, if it's your will, show your glory. Let nothing stand in the way of you getting the glory and reverence that you deserve. The problem was not that David didn't want Solomon to be king. David was not making Adonijah king. The problem was David was not acting. He wasn't moving. He wasn't stopping Adonijah. He wasn't putting Solomon on the throne. He wasn't doing anything. And now you say, well, he, but he was old and he was weak or whatever. He still had all the authority, as is demonstrated in the second half of the chapter, because he does it, doesn't he? 
And then he goes on and gives orders for Solomon on how to deal with all of the people, positive and negative, that were left in the kingdom. He, and Solomon does it all, 100% of it. So David does still have the authority, but David isn't moving. Why is that so significant to us? Because the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. Remember that phrase? A man after God's own heart. Samuel said that. He said it when he was rebuking Saul, who had become a king, not the likes of which God would want to be king. In fact, God was plaguing him with, a, with an evil spirit, and he had hunted David, and God gave David three chances to kill him easily, and David every time said, I will not lift up my hand to strike God's holy one. Samuel had already ordained David to replace him. He told Saul flat out, you are not a man after God's own heart. God has chosen one for himself. And he went on to say David would be king. And then in Acts, I think it's 13, in Acts 13, Paul is talking. And he is explaining the history, essentially, of Israel. And he calls David a man after God's own heart. Well, what is a man after God's own heart? If I say Aaron is a young man after my own heart, what do you think I mean? You think I mean that he thinks like I think. He acts the way I act. He's going to use power the way I would use power. Or he's going to make decisions the way I would make decisions. Right? He's following me, following in my footsteps, following what I want and what I think and what I am. And now this has been said about David. And so if this is David in, in action, then the way Bathsheba and Nathan come to David is really super important because what it takes to move David to action is going to be what it takes to move God to action because David is a man after God's own heart. You see? So this formula, if you will, which could easily be patterned out in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught in the New Testament, but it's displayed here a thousand years before that, right? As the pattern which you approach God when God is not active. Why? When it seems like God is not going to do what you want him to do, why this pattern? Well, we have to begin with asking ourselves, why can we approach God? Why can you, you, an ordinary person, why can I, an ordinary person, go to God and ask God to miraculously intervene, to fulfill some promise or to break some curse or to overcome or to cast out demons? Why can we do that? Well, we can do that for two reasons. The first reason is our relationship with God. And we'll talk about that in a second. And the second reason is grace. David understood grace. David was a man after God's own heart. From the moment that Nathan came to David and said, at the birth of Solomon, you need to understand God's forgiving grace. David had already, to some extent, understood God's forgiving grace. But in that moment, he realized that he would forever, not just through the remainder of his life, but forever have peace with God because, not because David was good, not because David was wise, not because David followed God's rules, not because David understood and followed the Ten Commandments, not because David was greatly victorious, not because David built God a great temple. He would not even be allowed to do that. Not for any of those reasons, but because of God's forgiving grace and his relationship with God. God's forgiving grace would establish peace between God and David. And so David, on that day, named his son Solomon, which means peace. You want peace with God? God wants peace with you. God wants it so bad he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for it. God wants peace peace with men. 
However, if you take a planet and a pebble, and there's going to be peace between them, you move the pebble to the planet, not the planet to the pebble. God wants peace, and He's willing to make a way. He did make a way. He wants to move you to have peace with Him. He wants to reconcile you. That's the ministry of reconciliation that we've been given. He wants to bring us together with Him. And David understood that. And from that day on, he had peace with God because of God's forgiving grace. You can be forgiven through Jesus Christ, God's Son. Will you allow yourself to be forgiven? That's really the only. And the reason is because there also must be a relationship, right? Bathsheba comes into the presence of David. She knows David loves her. She knows David promised her. She knows David has the power to do what she is asking. There's an interesting thing about power. It's dangerous. Bathsheba knows that David is dangerous. That's why she comes to him in reverence. She knows that he loves her. She knows that he promised her. What she doesn't understand is why has he not acted. And so she is moved to act on behalf of herself and Solomon and to ask David to act. David, who is a man after God's own heart. And so by this same way, we come to God. We see that God has not acted. We say, God, we don't understand why you've not acted. Have you actually acted? Is this actually what you want? We're okay. You know, your will, not our will be done. God, if this is what you want, we'll adjust. We'll be okay with it. But what we understand to be true is that you love us, that we have a relationship with you, that you made promises to us. And we... We want to understand we're asking you, God, and you come reverently. She got down on the floor and spread, laying on her tummy with her face on the floor and her arms spread wide before David in reverence. And she said, okay, God, if you want to step on me like a bug, I'm, I'm in because I'm yours. I belong to you. Every breath, every ounce of myself, every resource you've ever blessed me with, I, I put it before you. Do whatever you want with it, King David. But she prostrated herself out of reverence. She knew that, God, that David loved her, just as we know that God loves us. She knew that David had made her promises. And she prostrated herself because if, if so David chose, he could crush her right then. He could say, no, actually, Adonijah is going to be king because I don't want to split the kingdom now. It's going to be that way. And I know I said Solomon, but we're going to put that away. We're just going to stick a pin in that for maybe later on when Adonijah dies or something. But right now, we're just going to put that away. And uh, if you've got a problem with it, then just you know, the guards that are waiting here can just take you right down right now and we'll take your head. He could have done anything. He was the king. And God can do anything. He's God. And when you go to God and you ask God to act when God has not acted, you can safely assume that either A, God has already acted and you personally have missed it, or B, God has not acted partly or in part because you are to be taught. You are to grow through this process of coming before the king to ask him for what it is, something is going to happen in you. Remember John 9? The blind man who sinned, this man or his father, that guy lived blind for his whole life before the day he met Jesus. And David said, neither one, not his parents, nor him. Neither one of them sinned. But this was done so that God might get the glory. And then he healed the blind man who had lived his whole life blind. He healed him. Other people might have prayed. Other people might have talked to God. He might have been to doctor after doctor or whatever, but he couldn't see. He was blind, and Jesus healed him. Why? So God would get the glory. You never quite know. Now, it's not because God is chaotic. 
It's not because he's out of control. I mean, he's out of our control, but he's not out of control. He's completely within his own control, right? It's because God's plans are bigger than our plans sometimes. His ways are higher than our ways. They're hard to understand. So what are you going to do when you come to the end of your rope and you've got nothing left to bring? Are you going to go to God and say, God, I know you love me. I know you promised me. But here I see the enemy is acting and the enemy is winning. Evil is winning out. Here is my son, here is my friend, here is my co-worker, and they have some other kind of God. Here all the people see that they don't have to give glory to you. They can give glory to things, to other people, to jobs or to money or to drug or to drugs or to sex or to violence or to images. God, won't you act? Now, if this is something that you're doing, if you're setting this all up for a certain end, then so be it. Do with me as you will. But won't you act, God? And I lay myself out before you completely for your use. In the New Testament, I'm going to read a few verses and I'm in my conclusion. In the New Testament, it says this about kind of referring to the topic that we're talking about today. And, the, and I've... I have the references all at the top of the page. I'm just going to read them rapid fire one after another, and I won't give you the, every reference, but if anybody wants one, at the end I'll give you the list. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may glorify the Son. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. On that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation of shadow due to change. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we ask of him. The problem is that God was not, that David was not acting. The problem of our hypothetical case is that God is not acting. And you're going to go to God and you're going to go based on two things. God forgiving grace. You can ask God because of his forgiving grace. On the day of Jesus' crucifixion, the temple, the temple curtain tore from the top to the bottom exposing the Holy of Holies. You can now go into the presence of God because of his forgiving grace. And you go based on your relationship with him because you know him. You know he loves you because of his promises. By the way, God's been meeting promises since the very beginning. God is a meter of promises. And you know that. And you go to God and you say, God, you promised. 
Whatever you choose to do, if this is something different that you're doing that I don't understand, then I completely submit to you. But I'm asking you, God, because you love me, because of your forgiving grace, because of your promises, because I see evil winning and I, there's nothing more I can do. Because I'll be in danger, your people will be in danger if this continues. And God in his compassion says, I hear you. I'm going to do exactly what I said I was going to do. I'm going to preserve you. I'm going to answer your prayers. Because you've believed in me. Because you've done the things I asked you to do. Because you're my person. So it's about grace. Some years ago, uh, I was doing ministry and I was a relatively young Christian. And there was a man who came and berated me for what I was doing. He didn't like the way I was doing it. He was a follower of God. He was faithful. Not only had he been found faithful, but uh, people thought he was faithful. Everyone thought he was faithful. I thought he was faithful. And I did something that I thought was loving and kind, and it wasn't bad, it certainly wasn't sin. And he came and he berated me for it. He yelled at me. Um, he didn't use any cuss words, but he told me how irresponsible I was and how I was corrupting. I was children's ministry. I was corrupting the next generation. And I was not leading people to God, whatever. And I thought I was just volunteering my time to serve, and I, I was just trying to lead them to God. It was the whole point. I thought what I was doing was compassionate, and it wasn't sinful in any way. And while I was praying, I was crushed. I was crushed. This man was beating me down verbally for what I had done. <clears throat> and I found myself in my heart with a desire to pray that God would punish him for what he was doing to me in that moment. But I knew that that was harsh, and I knew I might not understand, and I was a relatively young Christian. I had never really explored this topic at all, and it just didn't feel right to me to pray that way. And I said, Lord, I said, if this person is in sin against you, if what they are doing is wrong, if it is anti-Christ, if it is against you, then do what you have to do to show that to them. I, please intervene. Punish them if that's what's appropriate, whatever. And I said, but if my heart is wrong, then change my heart. Renew me. Show me a better way. Allow me to repent. Allow me to seek your forgiveness. Allow me to be found faithful. Well, two things happened. The first thing, which always rang in my ears, always seemed very important, was that that person developed... Um, cancer in their throat and their mouth that made it so that they couldn't talk. They lost their voice. They literally lost their voice. And then God led me to go into a time of fasting and prayer for this person. And after I did that, God miraculously healed their throat and their mouth and they were able to talk again. You read into what you want. But as a young Christian, I understood without understanding. It was beyond me to understand but I went to God and I said, God, evil seems to be triumphing. I'm hurting here. I don't know what I can do. I know you love me. I know you've made me a number of promises and I'm asking you to intervene. Either punish or if, if, I, if I'm not understanding, then correct and set me on the right way. The second thing that God did was he set me on the right way. He helped me to understand out of that experience and I have always since then tried to pray, Lord, your will be done. Lord, as you wish. 
I remember praying in staff meetings at East Toledo when I was a youth director there saying, God, if you don't want to do it through us, and I was, again, a relatively young Christian, if you don't want to do it through us, then get us out of the way and just do it. Crush us if we're in your way. And I've prayed that a number of times over the years. If we are not going to serve God, God needs to get his glory. People need to get saved. They need to go to heaven, not hell. They need to be born again. They need to have life and life more abundantly. They need to escape the clutches of the thief and the murderer who cometh to kill and destroy. They need to have their eyes open, their blinders dropped off. They need to come to life. They are dead. And if we are not going to be the ones, if we are not going to proclaim the message, if we are not going to tell people about what they need, if we're not going to speak up, then God has every right to do whatever it takes to get us out of the way so that people can stop being confused about what it really means to be a Christian and actually live for God. That they can know by His forgiving grace that they can have salvation, that they can come into His presence and ask Him for what they really want, the ache of their heart. And if we're not going to do it, then God should put us out of the way and do it by whatever means he wants to do it. And that ought to be our heart. It was David's heart. You notice that Solomon became king, right? That was slated to happen at David's death. But instead, it happened that day. He became king while David was still alive. I don't know exactly how long David lived after that. Solomon became David's king. Sometimes you're going to have to give up your desires, give up your position, give up your restrictions to ensure that God gets His glory and what God wants done gets done. Every time you go to God and ask for God to intervene for somebody else, you're really asking God for yourself. Every time you say to God, God, will you please bless my son? Will you please bless my daughter? Will you please heal my friend? You're really asking as much or more for you than you are for them. Now that shouldn't be your motivation. You shouldn't be selfish about it. But really when God answers our prayers, think of the power, the confirmation, the love, the experience of that. That I can say, I asked God and God did that and God loves me so much. And then we go right back to, it confirms His love, it confirms His promises and we can go to Him again you should have time every day. Heck, you should have time every hour. You should have time every minute that you are approaching the throne of grace. Years ago, I read a, a, in the newspaper about two young ladies who were in, the, in college, and it was like five or $10,000, and they, they saved up the money, got donations, whatever, and they bought airline tickets to fly around the world. You could fly anywhere in the world on this certain set of airlines and you bought the ticket and then you just you flew standby or whatever, but you literally could fly anywhere in the world and get a ticket to fly anywhere in the world. And they spent this money. And at the last minute, the last week, before they were supposed to start their journey, and it was for a year. So for a year, they could fly anywhere in the world. And they were just going to go places, see things, go, 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 go. Right? And if they had to stop along the way and work for a while to make money, to pay for food and stuff, they were going to do that. And they were just going to go, go, go. And the last week before the two of them were supposed to board their first flight, which was like to Rome or something, the one girl went to back out. I can't do it. I'm not going to be able to do it. I can't take a year out of my life. I can't, I don't, I'm, I'm afraid or I'm concerned or she had family things or she had things going on. I'm here to tell you that under the pressure of having purchased that ticket and could see the world, she was ready to back out. Now, she didn't. In the, in the last day or the last two days before, she decided to go, and they went, and, they, and they, they chronicled their story, and they become somewhat famous, and they went everywhere in the world, and they saw everything, 
that they could see in a year, but she almost backed out. If you got a ticket to heaven, if you got a, a relationship with Jesus, if you've got God on your side and you've heard the promises, He promised to send the Messiah. He sent Jesus. He promised to crucify the Messiah. He crucified Jesus. He promised to resurrect the Messiah. He resurrected Jesus. He promised to send the Holy Spirit when He went back to heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit. He promised to seal people for the day of redemption. He has sealed people for the day of redemption. He promised a crown to those who persevere and the ability to lay it down at His feet when the time comes. The question is, if you've got the ticket, are you at the last moment going to back out? Or when you feel like you have nothing left, will your go-to thing to do, your choice, what you're going to do, is go to God reverently. Down on your face. You say, but I might not be able to get back up again. I guess you leave that in His hands. You say, I might be crushed. I might lose everything that I hold so dear. If you lose everything that you hold so dear, because God takes it from you, then either A, your salvation wasn't very dear to you, or B, you never had it. Put it all there and say to God, I know you love me. I, I know your promises. I know your forgiving grace. And I come to you today, this moment, to ask you to act. I don't know why you're not acting. And the truth is, if you are acting and you're just doing something that I don't understand, then just help my heart adjust. There are no rebellion versus God in the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is that person, place, or thing in which God reigns. And if you're rebelling against God, then either you're not in the kingdom of God or you don't understand where you are. Let me pray for you briefly. And I pray that we learn a lesson. Not just moms who love their kids and see their kids going through difficult places. But to anybody who finds themselves in need for God to act. That we can see how to come to God. Remember, David was a man after God's own heart. And so it took the same things to get David to act as it would take God to act when you don't see God acting. Father in heaven, you're an awesome God. You have made many promises over the millennia that has passed. For thousands of years, you've been making promises and keeping them. You walked in the coolness of the day in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve before they sinned against you. And I know that's a very simple synopsis of what took place. But another king presented himself just as happened here with Adonijah and Solomon. There was the ability to go another way that wasn't your will. And when we're at our wit's end, when we don't know how to feel fulfilled, when we don't know how to make things turn out the way we want them to turn out, when we can't imagine why things are the way they are, we should come to you. We should come reverently, loving you and fearing you at the same time, for you are a dangerous God. Instead, People grope for whatever kind of help they can get. They cry out, call out, reach out. They replace things in their life that, that could honor you with things that just can't. Reminded of, I think it's Psalm 1, 15. 
where the psalmist writes, those who worship those false idols and make them for themselves become like those false idols, deaf and dumb and blind and unable to do anything at all. Father in heaven, help us not put on the throne of our life someone or something that's not as dangerous as you are. Dangerous perhaps, but Lord, we, we want only you and only you in charge. We want only you in charge and we want only the fulfillment of your promises and we want only the desires of your heart even though we continue to deal with the desires of our own flesh and our own pride and the desires of our own eyes. And we will do so until we are too old to warm our own bed. But having your Holy Spirit, having repentance and confession available to us, having forgiveness and grace available to us, having seen it so clearly as demonstrated through your Son, we desire to be that people each of us individually, and all of us together, a people after your own heart. And if someone should come to us and they're in a difficult spot, Lord, when we promise, we say we'll serve, let us serve. When we promise and we say we'll give, let us give. When we promise and we say we'll read our Bibles or prayer, pray or worship or those kinds of things, Lord, let us do those things. Let us be found faithful. Even after sins like adultery, murder, pride and arrogance, the same kind of things that David had in his life. <clears throat> but let us be found faithful. Let our petition to you be based upon your forgiving grace, your love for us and your promises. And let it always include your will be done. Help us, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song, a hymn of invitation, but we're not going to walk forward to the front of the room, but it will give us an opportunity to meditate on the scripture today. Would you the praise team come and lead us? And then uh, this gives us an opportunity to meditate on the scripture. And then after we're done, I'm going to ask Brother Mike Brister to close us out in prayer, and then we'll be through for the day. That's our agenda. That's what remains. Ask you to meditate on what we've learned. Stand if you would. Sing the song. Give God some glory. He deserves all of it. And then think about that room, that day, the problem that she faced, the problem that Nathan faced. Why the problem that he
One more. sing it considering the message but God is so good there was a letter written to Emily Post who's a fairly famous editor and a writer and answerer of such questions and said what is the correct procedure when one is invited to the White House and has a prior engagement she answered an invitation to the White House is a priority engagement a command and it cancels out all other previous commitments so is the invitation to prayer and time with the Lord. It is a command that supersedes everything. Don't let anything interfere with our time in prayer. Brother Mike, would you close us in prayer? Father God, I want to thank you for the time. Again, we come together to worship you, learn more about you, and God, I want to thank you for the message you laid on our pastor's heart that he gave to us. And God, I pray we don't leave him in these chairs when we leave this building. I pray we take it with us, put it into action. And God, I again I want to thank you for the mothers everything they do and everything they put up with. And God, again, thank you for my mom. And all. A poignant message at a time when we are entreating God to intervene in some of the most difficult days in the history of the United States of America. So worldwide, God deserves his glory, and we ought to give it to him. We ought to recognize his forgiving grace and seek his intervention on behalf of those who are in need as well as for ourselves. Whenever you go to God, um, by these means, you're also going to him for yourself, even if you're asking prayers for others, because um, God's grace delivers in abundance. So, right. If you'd be interested in connecting up with New Heights Fellowship, please check us out at churchtoledo.com. If you want to be included in our local updates group via texting, you can text INFO to 419-419-0095. You can also text GIVE, G-I-V-E, G-I-V-E to 419-419-0095 and get set up to give online via your credit or debit card. God bless you today. Um, if you need to get us by phone, the church phone is 419-469-8808. We will continue in worship, but our COVID protocols are in place. So if you're going to think about joining us for worship on Sundays or on Tuesday evenings for Bible study, I'd ask you to take a look at those COVID protocols on our website and make sure that you adhere to them to the best of your ability in a way that is godly and honoring to our God. Until next we meet, continue to reach new heights in Jesus.